This is Peter McCall, Senior Associate of the Consultation Institute and an alumnus of the Young Academy of Scotland. It's time for a new podcast on the future of tertiary education and in the episode today we focus on the Research Excellence Framework and the other key performance indicators as well as alternative ways to evaluate success in tertiary education. To explore this topic I'm joined by Dr Ian Donald and by Ian Ritchie. Ian Donald is a lecturer in design and UX at Edinburgh Napier University. He gained his PhD in the field of history. He has an MSc in information systems and worked in the games industry prior to joining Academia in 2010. His recent work examines the intersection of games, digital media and history with a focus on commemoration and memorialization, using game design and technology to, to explore collective and communal memory in communities and virtual worlds. Ian Ritchie is the non-executive chairman of technology investment company Tarn PLC, Computer Application Services Limited and Crotos Limited. He serves on the boards of the Royal Lyceum Theatre and the Scottish Council for Development and Industry. He founded OIL in 1984, which pioneered hypertext technology, a forerunner to the World Wide Web, and which was sold to Panasonic in 1989. Since, he has been involved in over 50 startup high-tech businesses and research excellence framework panels in 2014 and 2021 computer science research. We're going to start, I suppose, with a little bit of looking back at uh, how the Research Excellence Framework has has operated. Um, so since it was introduced in 2014, the Research Excellence Framework, which uh, we'll be referring to through the rest of the podcast as the, as the REF, but don't don't think of uh, Pierluigi Colina or uh, whichever uh, foot, football referee it was you, uh, you, you had in your youth. Uh, so the REF has been used to assess uh, research success in academia. We've got uh, somebody from academia, we've got somebody uh, from industry. So I, I just wanted uh, to give you the opportunity to talk a little bit about how you've seen the Research Excellence Framework change during during your career. I'm going to start with Ian Ritchie, if that's okay. Yeah, sure. Um, well, I've never been an academic. Um, I've been an honorary, a visiting professor or an honorary professor or something. Um, I did do a, a stint of uh, helping out Harriet Watts at one time, but I've never been a proper academic. Um, but I've always been involved in startup technology companies, and many of those have arisen from technology that's been created in universities. So um, I have a con connection, really, with uh, particularly in my area, which is computer science. And I was on the, the REE panel in 2001 and in 2008, and then I was on the REF panel, or RF panel, in 2014 and 2021. Um, hopefully, I'll be allowed off now for good behaviour, um, and I won't be invited back again, um, because I'm now in my 70s. So, but, um, but it was interesting to see uh, these developments. There's not an awful lot changed, to be honest. It's a very expensive, laborious process. It involves the universities putting a hell of a lot of effort into preparing the material. And then you have, you know, 25 of the top researchers in the field have to meet several times and read all, you know, as many of these papers as they can and come up with their scoring and so forth. And it's, and of course, there's conflicts of interest. So it's not very complicated. There's uh, data protection issues because there's individuals involved. And it's a very, very complicated system. And you wonder whether it's appropriate that it, it should be quite so complicated. And I mean, I, I I suppose before I come to the the other Ian, there's there's a tendency for these processes to become more complex as time goes on, not simpler. And I, I wonder if, if that's if that's what you've observed. Well, actually, um, but it was an accident. Um, the pandemic um, made it simpler. So the pandemic meant we didn't have have to go tripping off to London or Manchester. We had a couple of meetings in Manchester, but basically most of the stuff was done on Zoom, uh, which actually was fine. And that made it simpler, I have to say, but um, otherwise it's still it's still pretty complex. And has got more complex or has has changed in its complexity or Oh, I don't think so. I think it's just I mean the the been debate for a long time and most almost all the research work is done on, on based on the published papers. And these are published in reputable places and so forth. And the uh, journals have got a sort of scoring system of the quality of a journal. And so a lot of argument about whether you could do it automatically. You could just say, you know, paper in communications of the ACM is a number one paper, paper in proceedings 
and so such and such is another three paper, whatever. And do a quick calculation. If you've managed to get a paper in one of the prestigious journals, Nature or something, then obviously that's you know, way up the top. I wonder if they did that calculation, whether it would be much different, frankly, from the process of people having to you know go through them all and, and score them individually. In Donald, you're a practitioner academic, you, as it were, at the coalface. Um, do you want to talk a little bit about what it's like for an academic to go through this process? Because I think a lot of people outside of academia will see these things turned into league tables, which I think most of us who understand the process are uh, sceptical about, or, we, or we'll see a headline once every five or six years about, about university performance. But that's not the reality in academia, is it? It's, uh, it's, it's much more engaged than that for you. Some of the challenges are in the ref. You, you know, as soon as you have anything that is being measured, right, the universities then look towards them you know, to improving, right? You, you, it's a, it should be, the ref should really be about nudging behaviours and encouraging universities and institutions to support their staff to do the best research possible. And I, I agree that there's challenges within that. I think one of the challenges about, you know, using automated metrics would be, you know, how how, how that could be gamed, if you like, because, you know, what are you going to use? Are you going to use a impact factors are you going to use uh, citations to a certain extent you, you lose the value of the peer review that said as a researcher i think the the focus on the ref can you know somewhat distract from trying to do the best thing for the research you know um research is you know naturally about learning and discovering and often that involves failing one of the challenges within that is the, the pressures that are put to deliver, you know, three-star, four-star research are, are are difficult to to actually support. How do how do you know if something is going to be original, significant? You have challenges in any research project that may impact its rigor, and those are the, the criteria that the ref measures. But I mean, my own experience of starting at a vocational university where it wasn't research focused so we had a lot of learning in the process for the ref coupled with the challenges of securing funding conducting the research publishing it with workloads that were increasingly focused on teaching responsibilities and not research i've only been an academic since 2010 you know i think there's a shift towards industry focused outputs and research but depending on the dis discipline and field universities aren't always going to be best placed to undertake that research. If a research grant buys out an academic for a day or two a week, very simply, they can't move at the speed at which industry can. You, there's a disconnect somewhere between industry and academia. I think both see the other as better funded for research, You know, whereas the reality is it's somewhere in the middle. There are a couple of interesting things I want I wanted to pick out there. So I, I, mean, I think the, the first thing is Ian Ritchie referred to the research assessment exercise, which was the previous mechanism the the thing that came before ref certainly one of the criticisms of that was that it took a scientific model uh of understanding where you would publish things in papers and that was the mode of progress and applied it to disciplines in which that wasn't the case and i remember sadly much missed larry hurtado uh telling me at one point that he had spent the previous four years writing a major book on i think it was the early church fathers that would be discipline changing and the research assessment exercise just wouldn't wouldn't capture that because it was set up to capture scientific papers or papers published in in the scientific model now, i think one of one of the reasons why we moved to the research uh excellence framework rather than the RAE was that it was meant to capture some of those things. I don't know how successful that's been. I'd be interested in in observations, as opposed from listeners. But I think also there's a there's a kind of broader point, and I'm gonna I'm gonna try not to butcher Goodhart's law, but some of you may be familiar with with Goodhart's law, which is that when a measure becomes a target, it ceases to be a good measure. So once you set out a target and begin to measure it, what people do is change their their activity and focus on the things that are measured rather than focusing on the things that might actually make the biggest difference. You know, the classic example at a target not, not to have patients on trolleys in hospitals. So they employed porters to lift the trolleys, take the wheels off them, and thus turn the same thing sitting in the same place into not a trolley but a bed. Uh, so you've achieved your target, 
uh, but you haven't actually achieved the substantive change that that you might want to you might want to achieve. So I I, I wonder about that that question of uh, teaching to the target, teaching to the test. You know that that sort of approach where measures becoming themselves a problem. In Richie, does that does that reflect? It does. Um, in twenty fourteen, I was on a supervisory panel, so I was um, uh, assessing the the submissions from maths, applied maths, statistics, and computer science. And we found that the computer scientists had a very high opinion of themselves. They were, about two-thirds of them thought their research was internationally uh, standard, uh, whereas the maths, applied maths, statistics, it was about one-third. And, and the reason for that, I, I concluded, was that computer science is very topical. There are flashes. I mean, at the moment, it's AI, uh, big data and AI and so forth. And if you're working in this field, um, you're seeing your research might thought to be internationally significant. Um, ten years later, you look back and you'll find that a lot of it was wasn't really. <laughs> but obviously, at the time, it's rated that way. So, actually, measuring uh, is a is a tough one. And you're absolutely right. If your targets, then obviously, I mean, every university is gunning for these targets. And and there's a great you know um, transfer window. Well, the uh, top academic is, you know, hired by another uh, university to pull them in and get their score higher and so forth. So there's an awful lot of game playing in, in that in that field. Yeah, I mean, certainly when I was on the governing body of Edinburgh University, we had a real problem with a gender pay gap. And one of the conclusions was that this was being driven by that transfer market. The male academics were much more likely to seek to be bought out by another institution and to take their research team with them, whereas uh, women were much less likely to do that, regardless of the quality of, of, of the research that was that was for social factors. And so in some ways, the REF was seen to be driving a gender pay gap, which was one of the things, another thing that the universities were being asked to address. Uh, so they're being, they were being pushed and pulled in, in, in both directions. Ian Donald, any observations on, on that? I mean, one of the things I, I think is really interesting there, as you mentioned, like ignoring the, the, the gender issue, but the idea that a research academic can be hired and they can take their team with them, you know, for the vast majority of universities, that just doesn't exist, right? You know, I don't have a team. I've never had a team work with colleagues, but we're, we might be working on a project together. Usually that's not even funded. You know, it's it's things that we are building together to try and get funding. Yeah, you know, and I, I think one of the things that's really interesting at the moment is the ref is still very traditional. It is very much based on fields and disciplines, whereas the vast majority of really interesting research breaks disciplines, breaks the norms. And where you have social scientists working with historians, where you have them working with computer scientists, you, you know, we, we, we don't, you know, I've been teaching and researching games since 2010 where does game where do games fit within the ref right we submitted to at my previous institution we submitted to the unit of assessment 32 which was art and design could easily be in computing science could also be in unit of assessment 33 you have this this discrepancy of where that research fits right and you're relying on, and one of the things I think is really interesting is you're, you're often relying on institutions to support you in making those decisions. And the institutions are often driven by people that don't necessarily have the experience of the panels, don't necessarily have the experience of research, some of them. You know, some of them are making decisions on the assumption that research is X, you know, whether it's science, you know, and when we're already seeing the impact of government shifts in uh, you know, we're, we're, we're still very much in a process where STEM is being pushed to the detriment of arts and humanities. Yet, I can understand that, I can accept that, but the, the prospect of not having arts and humanities is going to have an impact upon STEM. We, we need to be better. I, I, you know, as a general thing I always talk about, it's more important for us, especially in Scotland, to be more collaborative than competitive. We're a small country. I don't think the institutions, we have 19 higher education or institutions that are, and that's phenomenal. For a small country to have 19 is phenomenal. But the REF and the way that we fund our universities puts them in direct competition and, and that creates challenges. So, you know, for example, you know, we have, we have students come going to a vocational university because they have a desire to learn to go into a specific career, right? That's great. If you are 17, 18 and you know what career you want to have, 
it's fantastic. If you graduate when you're 21, 22, and that's still the same decision, wow. You know, I, I, I think the way that we... Scotland had a lot of benefits with the, the old system where you could go and study a whole bunch of, you know, a smorgasbord of disciplines and fields and subjects. And yes, at some point you had to make a decision to move on to honours. And then from that, you could build on what you wanted to do and specialise. And I think that was a strength of the Scottish system. I think vocational degrees, we lose some of that going off tangent, but we now have metrics about, we still have metrics where we're measuring where students are six months after they graduate not where they are two years, five years, 10 years. It's one of those things like your degree does not necessarily define you (laughs) and it doesn't define research and it doesn't, you know, and I I think one of the things we need to get better at is looking at how we bring all of this together in a more collaborative environment. And I think, I mean, interesting, I did a a bit of work on future jobs uh, when I was, when I was at Nesta and the, the, the Scottish degree as was, uh, looked like something that would prepare you very much for those jobs of the future. And what the ref has done is to push that degree in the opposite direction uh, and into specialization and into focus, which is probably not where uh, we need people to be because if they focus on something at university, and I mean, I think, you know, programming language is a good example. You learn a programming language at university, it's very unlikely you'll use that for the rest of your working career. What you need are the skills to learn uh, the relevant languages, and and that's that's where where the focus ha- has to be. And Richard, you you come from that sort of industry background. Does that does that reflect your understanding of of what's happening here? And if so, how do we end up where we ended up? Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. And 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 obviously the concentration. I was also on the funding council. The concentration on funding, a blue sky research, you know, cutting edge research, all that sort of thing is good for the universities, but it's not particularly good for the economy uh, or the rest of us, really. And I, um, the last couple of times um, I've been involved in the impact, because I'm no longer an active researcher, I've been involved in the impact panels. Um, so you try and assess the impact. The day I was at a meeting in Manchester, I got an email saying that one of the companies I'd invested in, which started life at Edinburgh University, um, I just raised uh, $275 million worth of investment. And that company wasn't an impact because it wasn't directly related to some blue sky research. (laughs) But it's now actually a $22 billion company. And so it's a massive impact, but it didn't score. And and, and I've I've noticed over the years, um, I've seen this uh, in practice, that academic research, the finest bits of academic research, are actually about 20 years ahead of market. So you can't just take them out and turn them the companies and that my god they do they do try you know they fund things um uh, coming out of research labs and we try and take them into uh, turn them into companies but they're usually um concept led rather than market led and i think the whole impact model is broken it should not be related to academic uh, scientific research of a three and four quality it should be related to the way it has an economic impact um, on on the world i mean for example when i was on that panel there was a post-92 university, I think it was Teesside or something, and they'd built themselves an innovation hub and they were building spin-out companies like crazy. And they were really doing a great job. Didn't get a penny, you know, because obviously it wasn't related to particular bits of academic research. And I think there should be a completely separate funding system for impact. And and, and universities like Napier and so forth would benefit from that because, you know, they tend to be closer to industry. In fact, if we wanted an economic benefit from our universities you know we, we hardly claim we've got either three universities in the top 20 but if we wanted to have an economic benefit um of universities we should be trying to encourage them to work with industry american universities tend to academics in america tend to go into industry and back again you know that never happens here um if an academic goes into industry he's pretty much written off um and getting back in no it's true i mean it's um i know I know people who've gone back into Edinburgh University after running a company and they don't have the same career because they don't have the same research record, you know. And you're talking about women. There's obviously a lot of care um, taken not to damage a woman's career because of maternity leaves and things, but it does, you know. Her research record isn't there and therefore she doesn't rise um, and it's just inevitable. So there's an awful lot wrong uh, with the current system which tends to focus on on the you know the 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 blue sky scientific you know breakthroughs and so forth. Um, is that the right thing? Is that the right thing for our 
our, our economy in general or our social society. No. And what Ian was saying about um, the games industry is a case in point. The games industry is a, economic, a huge economic benefit for Scotland. It's actually educational as well. I mean, Minecraft, for example, is, you know, a Scottish uh, developed in the consoles um, and a massive educational tool around the world, but wouldn't be recognised under these current systems. And I mean, I think in your uh, your your previous role at Alberta was at the the university that that's focused itself very much on video games as a as a selling point. I mean, I suppose for me, there's a sort of the Donald. Um, I'm falling for the, t- the the two in rule. For me, there's a there's an interesting question here. You know, you really. I think clearly set out the benefits and the costs to the research excellence framework. For me, we need to do a little bit more thinking ahead of the 2028 uh, ref uh, round uh, about how it is that we can build in some of those points that Ian Ritchie was making about industry. But certainly from my perspective, we need to look at things that aren't just industry, but also our societal based uh, approaches. So, you know, we've we've decided that we're going to adopt very, very challenging targets for net zero. How is it that we're going to achieve those? Our university is going to play a role in that. I would imagine so, but how are they being directed to play that role? And I wonder if that points to a different model of designing impact or measuring impact. I'm really interested in mission-based approaches, and you know we've seen a, a bit of uptake of that in in government, but there hasn't been a great deal of it in uh, in higher education. And I mean, I did a bit of work with one higher education institution on setting challenges and it was already good until they decided that the challenges had to be restricted to one academic discipline at which point i thought had you understood understood any of this at all because the idea that you could you know throw open a challenge and see who could address it but only within the confines of one academic unit seemed to me to miss the point almost entirely yeah you know, i mean you know maybe a better way of working even within that academic unit but it seemed to really miss the point of can you deal with antibiotic resistance by taking a biotech approach or can you can you take can you deal with it by taking a, an approach from behavioral economics you know can you can you encourage people to wash their hands more or does it have to be a, a biotech led 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 approach and you know both of those things i think are valid both of them have uh, a role to play but if you narrow it down to one discipline then you're you're never going to get those two approaches working together and the the dynamic interaction between them which i think is one of the really exciting prospects i, I don't i don't know if that reflects your thinking on this Ian Donald, but um i'd, I'd be really interested to hear whether whether you, you, that that's how it, how it works within an institution i have to i mean i have to be careful here about it's very easy to veer into the other issues wrong with academia, yeah, you know, in terms of like funding, you know, we we have research councils that specialize in areas, and yet within those areas, you, you have crossover research, right? So, who, who's allowed to fund what? You know, when something is funded, are the best people getting funded, or the the best people that were appropriate to f- that applied to that research council? You know, when we look at collaboration, collaboration tends to happen. Uh, more granularity, you know, it's, it's it's more kind of from the ground up, academics working on things together because they are interested in that kind of field. When, when we talk about the challenges of industry, you know, I can't come back to that point where I said, you know, the expectation between academia and industry is each seems to think the other is better funded, mm-hmm. you know, and one of the things that I find incredibly interesting is finished my PhD in 1999. I didn't become an academic until 2010. So I spent a good time in industry, but the, this expectation that industry will give their time for free, you know, in terms of like, we, we aren't funded, we will fund an academic for one or two days a week, right, through the research council. But the, the, the research that's being done from the industry side might not be funded at all. And they're expected to give in-kind support and all the rest of it. Even if it's more than one or two days a week, even if it's like five days a week, I I do think there is a big disconnect with, and and maybe this is my experience of having worked in the games industry, where, you know, the speed at which things are developed, right, you know, without naming games companies, but if games companies want to investigate something specific that they think will be a, a good feature for their new game, if they're big enough, large enough, they will dedicate 20, 30 resources to that for six months, 12 months, right? And, and that will be a calculated decision that's going to be the, for the benefit of the game and the product. And hopefully it will sell considerably and 
companies do at the same time if you went to that sa the, the the same idea in academia and asked for 20 people for six months you, you know you you'd you'd be laughed at right it's just not going to happen and even if you did get some of those resources they're still going to be expected to teach and, and that's going to slowly progress rather than what industry can do so you know i think there has to be a better way and i think what ian richie was saying is like this idea of what we do about having that transferability between industry and academia you know becomes critical one of the things i loved about working in the games industry was i saw people develop you know in disciplines and and then when you read it on the forums you read people saying that the, the game developers don't do their research i know of artists and designers who could easily have got a phd in a spe very specific area because they got to know something so well you know they are probably experts in that area because they spent four years studying developing researching implementing and then they stop and they move on to the next game i i am sure other aspects of computer science are like that i i know less about science but you know i know that there's I agree with Ian's point. There are lots of amazing academics who are lost to industry because, uh, to be honest, industry pays better, you know. And at the same side, I think one of the things that we struggle with is bringing people from industry into academia because it is a weird type of environment. I've often described it as it's almost like you're being freelanced or you're employed, but you're also a freelancer, independent. You're expected to do your own research sometimes that's with people sometimes it's not so it's a very fluid system and i think i think you know i agree with ian richie that there's lots of things that could be improved i'm just not sure you know what the ref can improve <laughs> compared to what has to be considered a wider issue and you know one of the challenges at the moment is you have universities very much acting as if they're businesses and being run as if they're businesses without necessarily having people that have any experience of running businesses in charge of that. I mean, I think I think there are a couple of points I'd, I'd like to tease out there. So so the first one is that your point about research consoles was, I think, part of the thinking behind the creation of UK uh, research and innovation. So bring the research consoles, bring Innovate UK all under the one roof so that, so that you get some integration. Now, of course, that's going to take some time. And I think this is the first research excellence framework for which UKRI has been up and running with with a with a good lead in time. I th I think it was created just about the time of the de the definition of the last uh, ref. So I think there's an interesting point there, and it may be something we'd we'd want to take up about how research council funding feeds into the ref and and how do you how do you close that circle? Is there a circle to be closed there? That I think is a is an interesting point because the funding of things to be assessed is an obvious starting point to 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 generate change, and I think there's a there's a second point there about universities as institutions, and I think one of the things that I'd observed as somebody who's worked with universities with private companies is that the university institutional form is very different to what you find elsewhere and i mean and donald would be very familiar yeah. with 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 things like sprints uh you know to create change that's just simply something you wouldn't see in a, in, in a university environment and i do wonder if there might be some learning there because while while there's a lot of talk about universities as businesses they don't look like businesses that I see elsewhere in the economy. They look like businesses that you might have seen at some period in the past, and uh, for reasons of politeness, I won't I won't say which decade. I think that was. I mean, in, in Richie, does does that align with your experience? Yes, you could change the ref. You could absolutely change the ref. Um, the, the the ref is doing the job of making sure that top quality scientific and other research is is being is being done, but it's not doing the job of if you compare us to the States or to Germany, you know, the higher education system is much more integrated with the wider economy. Professors in the States or in Germany, for that matter, you have three or four startup companies in their career. You know, this is the way it's done. And there's an awful lot of transfer. I mean, obviously, Germany doesn't have an Oxford or Cambridge or an Edinburgh or whatever. Does that hurt their economy? Um, doesn't seem to. <laughs> you know, they seem to manage quite well. And in fact, their sort of uh, metal sand companies um, tend to be very 
uh, very connected with local um, higher education and so forth. And there's a coming and going back and forward that there isn't in the UK. And I think the REF in particular causes that division because it emphasizes so much. And then it's got this pretend thing about humming impact. And actually, it's not the real impact. So I th I believe strongly that there should be a separate funding uh, body external to the REF, which assesses real impact, real academic uh, connection with the wider industry. And it's not just me, let's say. I mean, you know, the, 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 um, the former um, head of engineering at Cambridge University um, said, you know, said this, that it was really important. If an academic in Britain uh, gets, uh, you know, a couple of years at uh, Princeton or Harvard or Stanford or something, Asher Garden is fantastic. If they get a couple of years working at Rolls-Royce, um, that's regarded as a, you know, that, that damages their career. What kind of nonsense is this? That kind of interaction should be normal um, for academics. I think one of the things that's really interesting about the changes that have been made to the REF, the, the move away from individuals, though, towards a focus on institutions. Mm. I, I think that's, you know, that... That's positive, you know. I I keep coming back to this issue of like, if we don't have the ref, what do we do? And in some of my moments, I am like, that's great. We'll just distribute all the money between all the universities, and and, and that will be fine, right? There has to be some method to to how we do this, and and how do you compete with, you know, how do you have the smaller vocational universities that probably do have those better connections with industry that may not be doing the, the cutting edge blue sky research, but are doing stuff that actually impacts the, the value of that company. Uh, and how do you compete with universities that have been established for 500 years, but don't necessarily engage with industry to the same level? It's a, the, the REF is trying to create the right behaviors for institutions. I think many of the problems with the REF and how it's perceived and how it's interpreted are to do with institutions and people within the institutions rather than the REF. I mean, you know, one of the one of the strengths of the REF is that everything is out there. You know, it's a transparent process. You know, everything is published in advance. You know what you're being measured on. You know what the criteria is. Whether we agree with all of those is a different issue, but it's all out there. You know, I, I come, like I said, I keep coming back to this. What, what would we replace it with? You know, it's somewhere in the region of £2 billion worth of funding above that. Maybe more, two and a half, I don't know. How do you distribute that? You know, and, and how do we look for impact? You know, I, I agree. It's kind of when you, 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 you look at impact. Minecraft's a great example. Minecraft, you know, the, the console versions are made in Scotland, but the game was made in Sweden and bought by Microsoft. Um, you know, it, it's this, Minecraft was bought for $2 billion. 1.4 went to the creator, I think, or 1.2. We look at, you know, again, if you look at some of the biggest companies, tech companies in Scotland, they're no longer owned in Scotland. They're owned by American companies or Japanese companies or Chinese companies. You have this, you know, we, and I, again, I'd really, be interested in Ian Richie's take on this, but I mean, how do we foster an environment where we're building on Scottish success? Yeah, unfortunately, um, we have the wrong kind of um, economy for this. We don't really have risk capital in Scotland in the way that they tend to have in other countries. I mean, one of the companies I'm involved in, I, I, I chair a, an investment company. We created a company that does satellite technology and um, and we floated it on NASDAQ North in Sweden because that's an, you know, that's a market that actually does respect high tech. And a lot of companies obviously go to the States for the same reason. The UK, the, um, the markets in the UK are really, really dozy and they don't, they tend to go for mining and uh, their traditional um, banking companies and things like that. Um, they don't tend to be interested in at all in technology. There is a movement around at the moment. Um, uh, the government is saying to pension uh, uh, companies, look, you guys are long-term. Why don't you invest in long-term tech? The top five, six companies in the world today are all tech companies. Um, you know, the Amazon, Apple, and uh, Google, and so forth. 
that's where the money is. <laughs> but the UK has completely uh, bypassed all of that. And of course, the food chain for technology companies is you build yourself a reputation, you build yourself an interest in the market, and one of the big guys buys you because they can, they can access the market. It's just, I mean, that's not a Scottish thing. That's, that's a universal. That happens everywhere. But there should be at least a few you know, real companies that, that do manage to stay um, as, um, you know, as contributors to the Scottish economy. I mean, it's interesting that Sweden has had such enormous success in this area yeah. there's a lot of reasons why we can't replicate silicon valley there are there are i think many fewer reasons why why we couldn't replicate the swedish model where you've got Klarna and i think spotify is spotify swedish there's obviously i think 15 um unicorns come out of sweden there's something like 10 unicorns come out of estonia for god's sake and there's only 1.2 million people there's only two unicorns ever come out of Scotland, or two tech unicorns only ever come out of Scotland, and there's no sign of any new ones coming through. So we're we're failing. And now, what is what is it about Scotland? It, you know, we're bright enough. I, I just don't I just don't understand it. You know, if you want a, a, a scary statistic, the average Irish person is over fifty percent richer than the average Scottish person now. Goodness sake, you know. I mean, this is ridiculous. We're supposed to have all the great universities. As an Irish person, I'd take a little bit of, 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 of effect <laughs> that the idea that Scots should always be richer than they are. Sorry, I'm, I'm joking. Well, no, but uh, should at least be valuable, for God's sake. <laughs> yeah, and I, I, I mean, I think the case that Ireland doesn't have the natural resources that Scotland has had and that uh, it hasn't had the history of, of higher education that... that Scotland has had uh, would would point in in the opposite direction. I think there's there are some really interesting questions to be to be asked there. Ian Donald asked a little bit about what we'd replace Ref with, and I think it's really interesting. That it's quite difficult to have this conversation. I don't think I'm telling tales out of class here to say it's been difficult to get people to contribute to this uh, this this conversation. And I think that in itself is really interesting. I think we 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 need to open up a space where we could think about alternatives. I have some quite strong ideas about this in mission-based, and I, I do often wonder, I, I mean, I think Ian Ritchie was talking about the amount of resource that goes towards REF. It, it, it shouldn't be hard to repurpose some of that resource to other ways of assessing our impact, the, the way in which the, the money that goes into universities changes the economy and society and, and the environment. Uh, and, and I think for me, there's uh, the, the REF very much operates in a, in a world before mass communication. Uh, you know, it's not, this, this is something that, that doesn't lend itself to being uh, communicated to non-experts. And that is in itself problematic. And I think if we could have ref outputs that were digestible for uh for a range of audiences that that might be a really interesting uh thing that we could do at very little additional additional cost and i think also there's a there's a big question about how it is we uh set the parameters for this so how how is it that we're deciding what a good impact should look like can, can we do that in conjunction with uh, other uh institutions other elements of society how can we how can we look at people's lives and say what is it that needs to change over the next 10 20 30 years that will be informed by research and feed that into the process because i don't see that at the moment what i see at the moment is things happened and we said whether they were good or not at the at the end of that process so there's there's very little strategy going into this up front and i think those are some of the areas where you could without throwing everything up in the air and hoping that it all lands in a sensible order change change the process so I, I, I don't know what what you think about some of those some of those ideas and the ideas that came out of the uh, tertiary education futures project that that have helped to inform some of the rse thinking on this in richie i think you could improve the system you could certainly automate much more of it now we're living in a world of big data um you know you can basically extract information in a way that we could never do before so the complexity and the the machine the ref machine uh, could be stripped back and made much more efficient. So I think that would be one thing to do. I think, um, on the other hand, I think you need more investment in the impact side of things. I, I, I really do. And I think you should be trying to encourage and reward um, the universities. And actually, I know you, you, we talk about the post-92s, and they're obviously closer to industry. 
but actually the big um you know the big research intensive universities actually still do create you know companies that that can go on to be to be very effective as well so i think there i think there are things that can be done with uh, with this i i think the uk is a funny place it's um we're very traditional very conservative policy conservative we don't like change but universities are probably the most resilient organizations i mean you know what St Andrews is six hundred years old or something. They managed for six hundred years. That's pretty good. <laughs> you know, you obviously know how to duck and dive, and and work out. You know, and so they need to change, and they need to become more effective. And I think they've got themselves a niche. Well, crikey, where universities these days are basically spending all their time educating foreigners for money. That's a major export industry for Scotland. Is it the right approach to the Scottish economy? Hey, Donald, any observations on that? Maybe the, the, the what what do you think future tertiary education will bring? Yeah, I, I think the pandemic has given us a wee bit of an insight into... The pandemic created a, an environment where we all had to change and adapt. And I, I look at how universities tried to do that. There was definitely challenges within that where, you know, accessibility, inclusiveness, allowing the opportunity for people to, you know, once the restrictions were relaxed to be on campus, but also having to support people who didn't want to come, you know, and, you know, one of the challenges within all of that is you, you already have a university that does that incredibly well. The, the, the open university have been doing remote learning work from home for over 50 years. They, they do it phenomenally well, which is why they're successful. The, the idea that smaller universities could pivot to doing, or even larger institutions could pivot to doing that and doing it as well was a bit ridiculous and it wasn't the strength and we, we're now in a situation where we look at what again we're moving probably away from the ref but we're at a, a stage where what is happening within higher education has different challenges right we we are moving towards you know are we moving towards a model where we will see less students going to university not just because of demographics but because that traditional in Scotland, four-year degree, but elsewhere, three-year degree. I mean, we already probably see less Scots going to English universities because why would you? Because it costs a lot more money, right? But are we going to see that change because of graduate apprenticeships? And, and within all of that, if we want to bring it back to research, I think one of the most interesting areas will be that we, we tend to have thought of institutions as teaching-led, vocational-led, research-led, whereas, and the idea of research-led being you focus on the research that you're doing and related to your teaching, right? But may, maybe there's a call for students to be more involved in the big research questions at an earlier stage of their degree. They're the ones that are going to bring, be bringing it forward in five years, 10 years, 20 years, involving them in the research process where we celebrate failure rather than, I'm not saying we need to move to a system where there aren't grades, but I mean, you know, where everything is driven by the grade and the degree that you get, there is a abject fear of failing. And then there's an abject fear of that having an impact on your, your life. And, you know, I, I watched the, how social media and the media in generally, you know, we, we have that criticism of the, currently the government saying that they want to get rid of pointless degrees or Mickey Mouse degrees. What are those? Because 20 years ago, that would have been games development. You know, one of the ones that's routinely named is golf management. You know, Scotland has, has, a, has a massive industry based around golf. We need people that can manage everything around that. You know, I, I think there's huge challenges ahead, but I think one of the things that, you know, is exciting is that we have the pandemic has given us an opportunity to reflect. We need to think about what it is best for. When you look at how other countries do things, a year from home or two years from home, where it's more online-based learning, bringing people together for, you know, semesters where they work together in teams to do more industry-led challenges and projects and getting them involved in the big research questions that academics haven't been able to answer because working together as teams collaboratively, I, I think it's interesting. I, I look at my, my 
my kids and I think about whether they are going to go, you know, I already don't expect them to go through a four-year degree. I am looking at it and thinking, well, what are they probably going to do? You know, would it be a graduate apprenticeship? Will it be something else? You know, there, there's a lot to be said for the two plus two model where two years of college, two years of university. But when you start looking at the costs involved now, ignoring fees, you know, how are you going to support your child to be paying, you know, a thousand pounds a month in rent? And and that's that, that seems to be a relatively normal figure. I mean, some of the figures for halls, I was like, oh, that seemed reasonable. And then I realized it was per week, not per month. I think and, those, and, those are the challenges. I think that points to, to some of the broader economic pressure. So, you know, we've, we've had Ian Ritchie talking a little bit about the investment culture, Ian Donald talking a little bit about uh, factors like, like housing and, and social change. Um, I, I do wonder about uh, some of those questions around involving people more in the process. And uh, I think students are in some ways the best academics say that they learn from their students. And and I think there there may be uh, a question around how, how, how we can build that into, into the system more rigorously so that it's not just conversations that, that, that through which that learning happens, but it's through research design as well. Because certainly when you look at things like online harms, it's it's very difficult for uh, somebody of my age to understand what the online world is like for somebody much younger than me. So so looking at those sorts of things, I think there's there's uh, an important element of co-production in, in in some of this. I think there there may also be questions around whether we do address things like high rent as a as as a as a question of research and a, and a, as an economic drag and and where that where that might might happen an economic drag also a huge social problem so so looking at those things i think i think offer some some really interesting things probably not to do with the ref though so um if if i uh, either of you have any uh, sort of final observations around the ref and and uh what you would like to see from the next ref uh and uh if if you, if you have one, maybe two key proposals. I, th I think that would be really nice for us to go away with. Yeah, Richie. Uh, well, I've, I've probably said it all already, but um, I think the REF could be streamlined. I think it could be a much simpler system. I think a lot of the uh, measurement could be automated. So I think the panels could be provided with basically a structure of what the, the answers are. And then, and maybe it's a matter of, um, you know, looking at individual institutions holistically um, and saying, you know, is this working? You know, we've got this score from the research on papers and so forth, but um, is that actually working or should we do things differently? So I think that's one thing. I think the other thing is that there should be a completely separate system for impact. Um, so there should be a measure of the academic or the, the economic benefit of academic activity, whatever academic. So you know, right through from the, you know, from Oxford right down to the, the post-92s, they should all be measured in that way. And I think they would win, you know, in many cases, the the, um, the vocational universities, as Ian says, they would win uh, a lot of that battle because they're much more uh, industrially connected. And they would be encouraged to be more industrially connected because that funding system would push them towards them. So I think that's the two things I would say. Hey, Donald, any final thoughts? The ref isn't perfect. I think it is a little unfairly maligned, you know, in terms of the aim of it is to foster a research environment for institutions. How that is interpreted and how that is developed is very much institutional based. And it's very much based on people within those institutions. And that's where the challenges arise. You know, it, you know, it's, it's a bit like, while I agree that some of the ref metrics can probably be automated. I would still be concerned that that automation could be and would be by larger institutions with better resources could be not fabricated, but could be shifted to, to give a, a more favorable metric. And, and that's the challenge. That's why I think peer review, one of the things about the ref that I think is really good is that we start from a system where almost all that research that goes forward has already been through peer review, right? And then it's going through further peer review through multiple experts. We we talk about the different panels, but if there is cross-disciplinary research, it's often referred to other panels. Is the system perfect? No. Could it be improved? Yes. Like I said, I mean, it depends on what universities want to do. 
you know, I, th I think we have this challenge where, you know, I agree with Ian Ritchie there and that impact is incredibly difficult to look at. And, and refer back to that comment about when we're looking at impact and students and research, like what what is the impact of something that is six months, two, two years, five years, 10 years, 20 years from now? You know, I, I think a lot of the research on, I mean, we're going back a very long time, but, you know, I did my master's research in, in artificial intelligence. And it, I mean, where we are now, there's a lot of things, everything is AI, AI, AI. And yet, what is the research that is underneath that? To take it away from the technology, if you look at the, the ethics and the intellectual property issues that we have for chat GPT or mid journey or all of these sorts of things, yet they are going to be tools because they, you, you can't put the genie back in the ball. Those are going to be tools that the students that we have now are going to be incorporating into their working life. How that's done, those those are interesting challenges. But we, 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 we've very much focused on the research of can AI generate a picture of X? And it turns out, yes, it can. How is it generating it? We don't really know. And I, I think the ref is really good for dry, encouraging the correct behaviours, but it relies on institutions to interpret them equally. <laughs> And that's maybe the challenge. Okay, I think that's that's those are those are really interesting insights. It's been a really interesting conversation. This is part of an ongoing conversation around tertiary education futures that the Royal Society of Edinburgh has been engaged in. Uh, there's a there's a microsite that you can go to that's linked in the in the show notes. So please do go and have a look at the microsite, have a look at the report that we produced. And uh, please do keep in touch with us. And if you have any suggestions for uh, what what uh, the ref should look like, then we'd be really interested to hear those because there's a, there's a review, review ongoing and, and we'll be feeding into that. Thank you uh, to uh, Ian Ritchie. Thank you to Ian Donald. Uh, thank you to Christina Klopet, who helped to pull this together. Uh, and uh, I hope you've enjoyed listening. Thank you very much. I hope you enjoyed listening to this podcast. If you did, please give us a rating or review. It helps other people to find the podcast. This conversation is part of the Tertiary Education Futures Project in partnership with the Royal Society of Edinburgh and the Young Academy of Scotland. The project aims to stimulate creative thinking about how post-school education might evolve over the next few decades. So please keep talking about the future of tertiary education. You can discover more at rse.org.uk. Until next time, goodbye.